Over the past several months, we've seen tons of problems emerge due to mail-in voting, from ballots not being counted, several people actually being indicted for voter fraud charges. In New York, the election was delayed. They didn't know who was going to win, and now they're just calling it for the incumbent. So the race is being contested by the challenger. In Patterson, New Jersey, where we had several indictments and one in five votes being discounted, a federal judge has ruled the whole thing must be completely redone. I think it's obvious to anybody who's being honest that mail-in voting is broken, yet still Democrats insist we must have universal mail-in voting. Where I live in New Jersey, they're going to be sending out ballots to everybody, whether you want one or not, and I'm not happy about it. Because of this, Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of trying to steal the election, and I think there's one really good reason he may be right. Anthony Fauci has already said we can vote in person so long as we wear masks and maintain proper social distancing. But still, Democrats insist because of COVID, we must have mail-in voting. In response to this, Trump has said he will deploy law enforcement and even attorney generals to polling places to prevent the fraud. Unfortunately, I don't think he can actually do that. So Trump's between a rock and a hard place. If he does try to intervene to prevent fraud, they'll say he's a fascist and he's trying to take over. He's trying to cheat. But if he does nothing, then we're going to see a ton of ballots discounted. We're going to see some dirty games being played. And then Donald Trump may actually lose. But there is another theory that's going around. You see, many people said if Trump delays the election, that Nancy Pelosi eventually becomes president. And this is technically true if Pelosi wins re-election. Her term is set to end on, I believe, January 3rd and Trump's on January 20th, which means they could certify the results of Nancy Pelosi's run. And then she is the Speaker of the House. Donald Trump's election gets delayed until after the 20th, and then they make Pelosi the president. Now, this could just be a fringe theory, but Trump did bring it up, saying he didn't know if it was true or just a theory. But Nancy Pelosi did say in the past that Donald Trump will be leaving whether he knows it or not, perhaps just some hyperbole, a rhetorical threat that we are going to win, or the Democrats are seriously playing some very dirty games. I think dirty games are afoot. One story from ABC News says that 46 states will see ballots go uncounted. So if we know all of these problems are happening, why do they insist? And why all of the problems with their primary uh, primary elections? Perhaps it's because they know this is their in. Maybe not to actually cheat. You know, Donald Trump says they want to steal the election. Maybe it's not because they're going to be forging votes or anything, but they're going to cause such chaos that no one knows who actually won. In the event Trump actually does win, they can accuse him of cheating and say it wasn't legitimate. Or perhaps they will delay the election long enough with constant lawsuits over all of these messed up election results everywhere that Nancy Pelosi becomes the president. I don't know if that's true, but I'll tell you this. Trump's threat to send in law enforcement is serious. It may just be late night TV talk, or maybe he really will try to secure our elections. Either way, Democrats are going to jump on this. So let's read into this and see what's going on. And I've got some stories about the problems we're seeing with mail-in voting. And we'll talk about Trump sending in law enforcement. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give. I got a P.O. box. But the best thing you can do is subscribe to this channel. About half the people who watch all of my videos aren't actually subscribed. So if you see just below the video player, there's a subscribe button. Hit that and you're more likely to get my videos every day at 4 p.m. when they go live. Don't forget to hit the like button, the notification bell, and share this video if you really want to support my work. But let's read from the Daily Mail. They say, Donald Trump accuses Democrats of trying to steal the election. 
with mail-in voting and vows to send in law enforcement to polling stations to stop voter fraud. They say the president told Fox News' Sean Hannity Thursday night that he plans to send in troops, including sheriffs, law enforcement, U.S. attorneys and attorney generals to monitor the election, a move legal experts have cast doubt on. He blasted the November election as the most fraudulent election in history and made the extreme claim that ballots may only be sent out to blue areas of the country. Trump had called into Fox News' Hannity one hour before Joe Biden formally accepted the Democratic presidential nomination Thursday in one of a series of appearances intentionally clashing with the closing night of the Democratic National Convention. When asked by Hannity if he would deploy poll watchers to voting stations to prevent fraud in the upcoming election, Trump claimed we're going to have everything. We're going to have sheriffs. We're going to have law enforcement. We're going to have and hope uh, he says we're going to have hopefully U.S. attorneys. We're going to have everybody and attorney generals. Trump provided no further details on the troops he will send into polling stations or what their role will entail. However, legal experts said the president has no authority to take such action. Rick Hassan, an election law expert at the University of California at Irvine, told CNN Trump does not have the legal power to deploy local law enforcement officials to monitor elections, but that he could hire off duty cops for the job. The move could also face a backlash from Democrats who could claim the president was suppressing voters. And that's probably what they want, because even if they do lose, they need something to say, you know, some some kind of evidence that Trump's election was illegitimate. So if Trump does have private security sheriffs or anybody, they'll just scream. He cheated. He scared people away. And then they'll claim some people who are newly legal citizens or people were scared of getting arrested or people are scared of police. They'll use the Black Lives Matter line that they're worried about police brutality. And so people were being kept away and it targeted minority voters. They will take any excuse they can get. They say the president has repeatedly hit out at mail-in voting and claimed it will cost him the election. But his latest comments also point to him having having a seated distrust for in-person voting as well. Trump then returned to slamming mail-in balloting, saying 51 million ballots will be sent indiscriminately, with many being sent to dead people. And this is probably true. They're talking about sending 51 million ballots out to anybody who, you know, nobody knows who is going to get them. It's a horrible thing. It's a fraudulent election. Everybody knows it. You don't even have to know politics to know it. And I'm just going to say this. Most of you, if you follow my videos, you know this. I've actually got a mail-in ballot sitting right next to me for somebody who doesn't live in this house and hasn't lived here for quite some time. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. But I imagine if there are some nefarious actors out there, they could easily go to any mailbox for anybody they know is neglecting their mail or isn't voting and they could take it and fraudulently vote. So yeah, there is a real potential for fraud here. Whether or not fraud is widespread, the fact remains there are serious problems with mail-in voting and the potential for fraud. Why are Democrats trying to create a gaping hole in security is beyond me. Unless you want to speculate, they're playing dirty games. This week, the president cast his own vote in Florida's 21st district primary election by absentee ballot. They say mail-in vote, but it's absentee after changing his official residence from New York to Palm Beach and uh, back in October, despite his repeated claims that the mail-in system is rigged. Yes, Daily Mail. It's because absentee ballots are different. But Trump told Hannity mail-in balloting and absentee balloting are different, and and the latter is very secure. A lot of people use absentee, but that's when you go through a process. You ask for it. They send it to you. It's very secure. There is nothing like going to the voter booth, but absentee is good. 
Now, in this photo they have, it says the president claimed ballots may only be sent out to blue areas of the country. You can see someone casting a vote by putting it into a big metal ballot box that says 24 hour video surveillance. But that doesn't matter. If some crazy person was trying to threaten the election, they don't need to go up and steal the box. They could just do something awful to the box. And I'm not going to, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but they could easily cast out on the election by doing something to this box that could compromise the ballots inside of it. It's just one single opening. So yeah, there's a potential for fraud. Think about it. With all of the polling stations or ballot boxes just placed in the grass at random places across this country, I said, okay, not necessarily random, but at these municipal areas, people could just tamper with them. And then you're going to see lawsuits endlessly. And that's when it comes to the argument about delaying the election, not trying to steal it, but delay it so that Nancy Pelosi becomes the president. I bring you now to this, uh, this tweet from Jennifer Jacobs. Trump says there's a mad theory that if there's no final election result by the end of the year, Pelosi would become president, says he doesn't know if that's a theory or a fact. Ben Jacobs tweets, Trump now seems to be suggesting the possibility that Democrats might deliberately avoid counting votes and having a clear winner of the presidential election so that Nancy Pelosi would become acting president. Now, mind you, July 20th, Pelosi did say that Donald Trump will be leaving the White House whether he knows it yet or not. Like I mentioned, perhaps just some strong rhetoric. We're going to win. He might not realize it, but he is out of there. Or perhaps she's betting on the the fiasco of mail-in voting and lawsuits and the delay to get her into the office. Let's entertain the possibility with a fact check from USA Today. And the reason I'm doing this is because Trump Trump says they want to steal the election. Well, there's the obvious, more conspiratorial line of thinking that they're rigging everything. They're 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 doing something. Look, I'll I'll tell you this. I think they're playing dirty games. To what end? I don't know. But there's the overt. They're going to try and stuff ballots. They're going to find ballots. They're going to you know hide Republican ballots. They're going to disqualify Republican ballots. Trump says they may only send ballots to blue areas. Those are the those are the overt right the obvious ideas, the obvious theories. But what about Pelosi becoming president? USA Today wrote on August 7th, fact checked, President Pelosi? No, House Speaker wouldn't assume role amid election day. Now, this fact check, in my opinion, is wrong because it operates under the assumption that if the federal election is delayed, everything is delayed. But what would happen if the election happens? Pelosi wins, but the results of the presidential election are delayed. Then yes, Stands to reason Pelosi would become the president. Maybe that's the game. They say when President Donald Trump tweeted July 30th about his qualms with mail in voting and suggested that perhaps the 2020 general election should be delayed, citing a need to properly, securely and safely vote. There was a panicked response under the Constitution. A president does not have the power to change an election date. That's Congress's call. But if Congress did choose to push Election Day into 2021 and passed the constitutionally mandated Inauguration Day, who would take office on January 20th? President Pelosi quickly trended on Twitter and screenshots of those tweets were shared on other social media platforms in response to the widespread claim that Nancy Pelosi would be next in line to take office on January 20th if there had not yet been a vote. This is true. She would. However, they say, quote, If the president doesn't get reelected or vacate by Inauguration Day on January 20th, the Speaker of the House would serve as acting president. That means President Nancy Pelosi reads the tweet. Correct me if I'm wrong, 
But if an election gets delayed, doesn't the Speaker of the House become become interim president at the end of the incumbent's term? So Trump wants President Pelosi reads another widely spread tweet also shared via screenshot on Facebook. Now, on the surface, USA Today's fact check is true. If Trump delayed the entire election, Pelosi would be out of office on the third. And I believe every single member of the House would be out. There'd be no House. Now, that would be devastating because, well, then there's no House of Representatives. There would be some senators, but they would be mostly Democrats. They go on to say, the 20th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says the terms of the president and vice president end at noon, January 20th. If an election had not taken place by the date and successors has not have not been chosen, Trump and, Pre- and Vice President Pence would be out of office. Behind the president in the, in the line of succession is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. It makes sense to assume she'd then take the role of president, but that assumption ignores two important points. Pelosi is also up for re-election in 2020, and the Constitution puts an end date on the terms of members, too. They say that the 20th Amendment The 20th Amendment says terms of senators and representatives end at noon, January 3rd. If a federal election were delayed, then no vote would take place to reelect or remove Pelosi from office. She, too, would have to step down from her position. In that case, the president pro tempore of the Senate next in line would assume office as president. Currently, that person is Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican of Iowa. But there's more. If no federal election took place, Pelosi wouldn't be the only member of Congress to leave office. There are 35 senators up for re-election, 22 Republicans. And if they were all removed without any successors, the 100-member Senate would have just 65 members with Democrats in the majority. Because all of that, those senators could technically then choose a new Senate president pro tempore and thus the president. Republicans might be able to maintain their hold in the Senate thereafter, though. A congressional researcher service report Research Service Report, Continuity of Government, says that in the case of a Senate vacancy, depending on state law, governors may make a temporary appointment until an, until an election can be held. That means vacant seats formerly held by Democrats could be filled by Republicans or vice versa, depending on a gover- governor's pick. In the case of vacancies in the House, governors can issue a writ of election to fill those vacancies, according to the report. They go on to say the election is, like, is unlikely to be delayed, and thus their rating is false. Nancy Pelosi will not be the president. In this circumstance, it would not matter if Donald Trump sends out law enforcement because they're just trying to delay the election only for the president. They want the congressional election to carry out like normal so that Nancy Pelosi is reelected and then she is next in line to become the president. And let me just tell you, the Democrats refuse to let go. They refuse to lose after they've lost. Hillary Clinton still won't shut up about it. And I'm going to show you something that's going to make you laugh. Check this out. Noah Rothman tweets, this is becoming unhealthy. And in this image, we can see from C-SPAN, Dem- Democratic governors get it done. Progress in red and purple states. And here we have Governor Tony Evers, Governor Andy Bash- uh, Bashir, Governor Gretchen-, Gretchen Whitmer, Governor Tim Waltz, And then you have Stacey Abrams. She's not a governor. She lost, but she won't stop. She won't. Neither will Hillary Clinton. These Democrats refuse to accept that they lost. So here's what happens next. In Patterson, New Jersey, where there was literal cheating, 
Okay, okay. I, I, uh, there was accused cheating because several people have been charged, indicted on voter fraud charges, which I believe they're denying, and they are innocent until proven guilty. One in five votes were disqualified, and now a new election is being ordered in a race marred by voter fraud charges. This is unacceptable. What happens? There's, you have this one district in Patterson, New Jersey. So what do you think is going to happen when you have a presidential election with widespread mail-in voting? What you see in Patterson, you will see everywhere. And then what? They're going to call a redo, a new election. And then at least temporarily, Nancy Pelosi becomes president. It could happen. Marco Rubio said it. There's not going to be an election night. Many people have said there will not be election night. Why? Because of mail-in votes. And then you're going to see this. Donald Trump on election night with in-person voting will have a strong lead. They'll argue, well, normally this means Trump should win. But Democrats are being encouraged to vote by mail, even though Fauci himself said you can vote in person. So then they're going to start finding new mail-in ballots as they trickle in. Joe Biden will come closer and closer to winning. We'll then see contested elections. Donald Trump it will, will file suit in many different areas. Joe Biden will counter with lawsuits. The whole thing will be jammed up. And then on January 20th, they'll say, well, you know, we can't do anything about it because of Trump's lawsuits. It's his fault. Nancy Pelosi becomes president. How about that? Don't take my word for it. According to ABC News, on the 15th, mail-in voting rules in 46 states may leave some ballots uncounted, USPS warns. If you love the Postal Service, then heed their warning. The ballots will go uncounted. And there it is. Trump will have no choice but to file a lawsuit against this because they're going to discount his votes. If you thought the year 2000 with Gore v. Bush was bad, wait till you have mandatory universal mail-in voting because of the likes of Phil Murphy in New Jersey. I did not agree to this. I've lived in New Jersey for, for, for several years. And now they're forcing mail-in voting upon us, and it's going to be a disaster. It absolutely is. It, uh, we've already seen the evidence, and they're telling us right now. Trump is suing New Jersey because of this. They say the Trump campaign on Tuesday filed a lawsuit against New Jersey after Governor Phil Murphy issued an executive order requiring every voter in the state to receive a mail-in ballot, in addition to being allowed to vote in person if desired as a safety precaution during the coronavirus pandemic. Oh, this is going to be spicy. So what? What? I'm going to get a, a mail-in ballot, even though I intend to vote in person. And then what happens? Duplicate votes. They're going to claim some people voted twice. It's going to be utter bedlam. And they know it. They absolutely do. The AP story, a judge has ruled that a new election will be held in November for a disputed Patterson City Council seat just weeks after the race's apparent winner and a sitting councilman were charged with voter fraud. With voter fraud. But what about the Democrats? Are they in, in, in unified in their calls for mail-in mail ballots? They're not. And this is what's really interesting. We have this story from the AP that says, uh, I'm sorry, from Politico. It says the AP calls primary for Carolyn Maloney, over challenger Suraj Patel. Suraj Patel is arguing that the vote was pre- the results are preliminary and it's not fair because ballots are being discounted. And you know what the Democrats are saying? These challengers to the establishment Democrats are just fueling and agreeing with Donald Trump's rhetoric, accusing mail-in voting of being broken. That's the game. It, you're, you're either with us or against us. The Dems don't like the progressives either. So here it comes. They say, 
The Democratic primary results have been up in the air since June 23rd. This story's from August 5th, mind you. It took, what, over a month to finally figure out who won, and it was still preliminary. They say the AP called the race for Maloney after the city board of elections certified the results on Tuesday. Patel said Wednesday he would not concede. I'm thrilled the voters of New York's 12 have decided to return me to Congress for another term with a decisive winning margin that clearly reflects the will of the voters. Maloney, who represents parts of Manhattan and Queens and chairs the House Oversight and Reform Committee, said after the elections board certified the results. A judge has ordered the board of elections to count more ballots in the race in response to a lawsuit brought by Patel, an attorney and professor and other candidates. Thousands of ballots that were received soon after the election weren't counted because the U.S. Postal Service did not postmark them. New York law says that mailed in ballots are tabulated if they're postmarked by election day. The judge ruled that ballots received within two days of the primary should be counted. The state plans to appeal that ruling. Talk about absolute chaos. Who's cheating here? I don't know. The challenger is saying these aren't postmarked, but they should be counted. So they very well may be bunk votes. I don't know. They weren't postmarked. Where did they come from? I have no idea. Or they're being discounted because the United States Postal Service couldn't get them in on time and chose not to postmark them. Whose fault is that? Not the voter. But we know that's true. In defiance of that order, the Board of Elections has preliminarily certified our race without a final vote tally. Let me repeat, we do not have a final vote tally or final percentages in my race, Patel said on Wednesday. Quote, my opponent has pressured me to concede maliciously and falsely conflating my fight to count every vote with Donald Trump's baseless attempts to discredit vote by mail. This behavior is beneath the dignity of the Democratic chair of House oversight and is deeply concerning. The democratic process does not end when it becomes politically inconvenient, Patel said, adding that the state has argued he would not have standing to continue the lawsuit if he concedes. I bring this up for one important reason. First and foremost, dude, there's clearly problems with your election. So stop dragging Donald Trump and point out the election is busted. But how about this? Nancy Pelosi's election. I mean, she's in a D plus whatever district, 30 something. I have no idea. It's always going to be Pelosi. However, what happens if Republicans file lawsuits challenging the certification and she is not certified? She, it, the Board of Elections doesn't certify that she won and she does not then get reelected in time for her to become president, interim president, as it were. And then it falls to Chuck Grassley. And what would Chuck Grassley do? I have no idea. But if there is a jam up, for Trump or for anybody, then it stands to reason it could affect the entirety, every single race that's set to happen in November. And you can thank the Democrats for this. So right now we have the obvious politicking. We have Joe Biden accepting the nomination, saying that, you know, Donald Trump casts a dark shadow. Then we have Mike Pence saying, oh, Joe Biden, the whole DNC was nothing but darkness. Both sides claiming they're right. Both sides claiming the, the, the each side is corrupt. But I leave you with one thing. Anthony Fauci said we can vote in person. Shouldn't this whole debate be over with? Why are they trying to change the rules at the 11th hour? I have no choice but to agree with Donald Trump. I think at the very least they're playing dirty games because they're trying to somehow jam things up, steal the election, cheat the election, or at the very least claim that Donald Trump's victory is illegitimate. So what happens 
when all of us point to Anthony Fauci and say, okay, we agree with the guy you love so dear, but they don't listen. That's the name of the game. The Beltway narrative, the politicos, they're in the bag for the Democrats. They are not going to be pointing out what Fauci said. Why? Because it discredits everything they're claiming about COVID and mail-in voting. And so now they're arguing they're doing the right thing, but they're just conspiracy theorists and they're trying to gem up the elections for whatever reason. I'll tell you what, after everything you've seen, you tell me why they're doing it. If you don't think it's because they're trying to somehow play a dirty game to either steal or benefit themselves, then explain to me why they are defying Dr. Fauci. I think it's because it's dirty games. But again, you tell me. Comment below. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time. Last night was night 85 of the ongoing riots in Portland. And there's a news story by the local outlet that you, you all know I love, the one that always calls them protests, where it said there were two protests last night. One was confrontational and one was peaceful. Technically, that's true, but here's how it actually played out. The peaceful protest went to residential neighborhoods screaming, wake up, mother effer, wake up, apparently had been marching through the residential neighborhoods all day. And the confrontational one was setting fires and attacking an ice facility and spray painting kill ice on these buildings. The acting secretary of the DHS said Portland is clearly still a city in crisis. And it is. I got I, I got to say, you know, it, it comes to a certain point where I don't know how many times I can just keep doing morning updates on the ongoing riots because it does feel a little played out. Here's the problem, though. This is the battle. It's a battle of attrition. Antifa and the far left, these Black Lives Matter extremists, are hoping that eventually they can normalize what they're doing, demoralize local residents, target built uh, businesses, drive them all out and destroy the city. The moment we start accepting this as normal is the moment they start winning. And unfortunately, I feel I, I fear we are at that point. We actually have a very I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. it's it's actually kind of funny. This post from Dan McCarthy, he's a local journalist, I believe, with uh, KATU, this uh, Portland, Oregon. And first he says, we're back at the ice building in South Portland this morning. Three people were arrested during overnight demonstrations. The second straight day of protests here. I don't know if the feds have returned. Ice, I believe, actually did come out, but I'm not entirely sure. But he has this chart. He says, here's a timeline of demonstrations that Portland police say they have responded to in the, la- in the month of August. There were three more arrests at the ICE building in South Portland overnight, which was declared an unlawful assembly. This image, it made me laugh. Let me uh, make it smaller so you can see. This is just for the month of August. And for those that are just listening, it is a chart showing the first, second, third, you know, the first to the 19th, and all of the days that have been declared riots and what happened. We can see what looks like uh, bottles being thrown. I don't know if this is tear gas, fires being set. I don't know what some of these are flashbangs, but it is quite, quite funny. There, there are several days throughout the month where there have been no arrests, but only about five. And I just think it's very uh, uh, cute, I guess. They've actually put together this infographic. So much thanks Police declare unlawful assembly at Portland ICE building three arrested. I'm going to read this because I don't want to allow Antifa to normalize what they're doing. But I've got some stats. Regular people do not like this. I mean, the average voter doesn't like this. Democrats, for some reason, are the outlier. 
regular, uh, most likely voters, according to a poll from Rasmussen, say they want that they want the police to crack down on this and put an end to it. They want to normalize this. They want us to forget about it, get bored with it so that they can keep doing it and keep getting away with it. We need to call this out every single time and say they must be arrested. But I must cite to you a bit of data that I love to cite right now. I did a segment on it yesterday, mentioned it in my main segment yesterday. According to CNN, Donald Trump has closed the gap with Joe Biden in 15 battleground states, bringing Biden's lead down to only 1% in the key states that he actually needs to win to win the presidency. Nobody cares if California or New York swing for Joe Biden. We get it. They will. So the national polls are less relevant. This means Donald Trump where the, uh, is, is in range. I mean, the margin of error in this poll is 4%. You may have heard me say this already, but I got to bring it up in, con- in the context of this unlawful assembly riot, if you will, because we also have this story. Democrats disagree, but most likely U.S. voters favor crackdown on violent protest and protesters. We can just call them rioters, but sure, fine. I get it for the sake of the poll. Violent protester. Sure. Voters are ready for police to end the continued violence as 47% of unaffiliated likely voters think police should crack down on the protests. But 47%, is that, does that mean the majority is in favor of these ongoing riots? I don't think so. I think the 47 may be a plurality, but we'll come back to this. I want to make sure I give you the, the actual news update here. This is from KATU. They say three people are in custody this morning following the second night of protests at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Building in South Portland. Most of the group left the ICE building at around 2 a.m. Friday. According to Portland police, protesters once again set fires, lit fireworks, and threw projectiles at federal officers and later at Portland officers. The gathering was deemed an unlawful assembly. However, police did not declare demonstrations a riot as they had the night before. I don't, I don't know what the difference is if they're setting fires. They literally spray paint kill ice. So sure, whatever. More arrests were made overnight, Thursday, than on Wednesday night. The demonstrations at the ICE building on Wednesday night gained a reaction from acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf, who said, last night in Portland, a DHS federal facility was attacked by violent criminals. Local police called a riot again and made arrests. After 80 plus straight nights of violence, Portland clearly remains a city in crisis. Portland police say it was one of two mass gatherings overnight. Earlier in the night Thursday, a group of protesters gathered at Kenton Park and marched through North Portland, briefly stopping at the Portland Police Association. Police said the group of marchers returned to the park and dispersed with no initial reports of violence. Yes, I believe that is absolutely on purpose. They're going to residential neighborhoods. That's the point. In this tweet from Kitty Shackelford, I'm not entirely sure who this is, but this was a tweet that was, it's got 4,000 retweets. Portland starting early in neighborhoods, flying into fits of rage over white men on their porches and the U.S. flag, F your flag. This is how it expands. They started going into residential neighborhoods at night. Now they're going into residential neighborhoods in the morning. And as I said, their goal is to normalize this. Perhaps people will become demoralized and they will leave. Maybe there will be a recoil and a backlash, which results in people actually snapping back, voting hard Republican or something. But we have this story from KOIN, Oregon, Portland protests fanning out across the city. Now, this is from the other day, but this is an actual mainstream news story pointing out they are coming to the neighborhoods. Remember when everyone was saying back in June that Antifa was planning on showing up in the suburbs and the neighborhoods. And then the mainstream media was like, this is fake news designed to scare people. 
And then they did. And they still are. And they are fanning out more. Remember when they said the protests in Portland are just uh, in a 12 block radius around the courthouse. And now they're fanning out across the city. And this, this website, Coin, actually put together a map of all the places they started going to. And it's kind of is random. They actually so this is actually this is really fascinating. I think this might be from the police. But that chart I showed you from August actually shows I don't know if I can make this bigger. It actually shows maybe I can make it bigger. All of the riots throughout the past couple of months. So you can actually see that chart I showed from August where you have the riots. It looks like July was substantially worse. Look at all the fires they were setting. So, you know, there you go with that. But let's let's read the story, because the big issue I want to focus on is how this is going to affect the election, especially considering they're targeting residential neighborhoods. They say the riot outside the ICE facility on Southwest Macadam Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night is just the latest in a series of clashes outside the city, county and federal facilities during the 83 consecutive nights of protests in Portland. So, again, this story is was from the 20th, but it's about the 19th. They say on May 29th, the first night of the protests, and the first declared riot. Demonstrators targeted the Justice Center and other downtown venues, including Chase Bank and Pioneer Square Mall. Over time, the Hatfield Federal Courthouse was targeted, which brought a heavy-handed federal response. Other frequent targets included the Portland Police Association building, the Penumbra Kelly building, and the PPB North Precinct. Then on Tuesday, the Multnomah County building on Southeast Hawthorne, which is, as Chair Deborah Coffrey said, the place where people get married come to get their passports and come to celebrate their cultural traditions. And it was vandalized during another riot. According to Portland police, there have been 17 declared riots during these 83 nights of protest. The ICE facility is a federal detention facility that has been a flashpoint over the past few years. The Occupy ICE movement tried to shut it down two years ago during earlier Trump administration efforts to crack down on immigration. Federal officers are back in the streets battling protesters. So there it is. There's confirmation. The feds are back out. There are also reports of planned clashes at different parts of the city this weekend. KOIN6 will continue to follow this story. It's Friday. Friday isn't the worst of the week. Saturday is. So I think tomorrow is going to be is going to be particularly bad. But how will this impact the election? And that's the big question I have. I want to make sure we stay on top of all of this, the riots, and not allow these people to get away with normalizing their psychotic behavior. But we are just coming off of the DNC and all the stupid things they've been doing. Let me just first point out that Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as we talked about last night in the IRL podcast, is threatening to have protesters arrested. She won't allow them near her house. In fact, locals call it, according to the story from Chicago's WGN, they call it Fort Lorry. These Democratic politicians, as as far as I can tell, are acting like despots. Let's read the data, however. Texas Insider, citing Rasmussen, says, when asked which is closer to their own thinking, 50% of likely U.S. voters say that police should crack down on the violence and protests to bring them to an end, while 38% disagree and say the protests should be allowed to continue until the protesters decide to stop them. And 11% are undecided. Most also say the protests will be important to their vote in the upcoming elections. There's sharp partisan disagreement on the question, though, according to the new Rasmussen Reports National Telephone and Online Survey. And you know why? Because the left gets their news from the narrative fake news machine and the right, the coalition, whatever you want to call it. You got liberals, you got moderates, you got conservatives, Trump supporters, you got liberals voting for Trump. These are people who are getting their news from across from various different sources and talking to each other. 
You know, the, the other day I, I did a segment on Trump buying the Washington Post full page takeover. Like when you go to the Washington Post website, it just takes over the whole thing. The people who go, the people who go to Washington Post aren't actually seeking out news. They're just going to the Washington Post and saying, tell me what to think. The people who are coming to YouTube and following other people on Twitter are saying, I want a mixed bag of opinion to, to better understand. As they say, the truth is usually closer to the middle. Thus, if you're on social media and exploring the news for yourself, you're more likely to be getting the truth, at least in my opinion. I do think mainstream media has their moments and they have a tendency to be pretty good. I use them myself. Now, Texas Insider is not NewsGuard certified. I do use NewsGuard, but it's they're citing Rasmussen, so I think it should be fine. They say just 31% of Democrats agreeing, while 47% of unaffiliated likely U.S. voters indicate they think police should crack down on the protests. 56% of Democrat likely U.S. voters say the protests should be permitted to continue until protests, protesters want to end them. And 75% of Republican likely U.S. voters think the police should crack down on the protests and protesters. So what I would say is, I don't know if they actually show the, uh, the data here. But considering when you step out of partisanship, there is a majority who want the protests to end. And there is a large group, double digits, who are undecided. Stands to reason the 47% of unaffiliated voters is the plurality, meaning while not most people, it's very likely there is a large portion of unaffiliated voters who are undecided, meaning it is not the majority of people who are independent or unaffiliated who would like to see these protests continue. There's probably a large portion of undecided. Basically, what I'm trying to get at there, very, very, very good news for Donald Trump. He needs the middle. He needs the unaffiliated to support him. They say, while the violent protests and riot rioters champion defunding the police and using that money for social or community outreach programs, 66% of Americans oppose defunding the police in the community community where they live. And 61% believe violent crime is likely to go up in those communities that do defund the police. You may have seen the viral commercial from Kimberly Klasik. If you haven't, check it out. It is massive, getting like 140,000 retweets in a day. She is a Republican woman running in Baltimore. And in her ad, she talks to several black people in Baltimore, asking them how they feel about defund the police. And of course, these testimonials, they say it's bad. That's what we've seen from the polling. 81% of black Americans think the police are spending just enough time or 20% of, of black Americans say they want more time spent in their neighborhoods, not necessarily more police, but they certainly don't want to defund them and get rid of them. So when you see people marching through neighborhoods and they're in Portland, as they're expanding, you're going to see a lot of people recoil and say, no way. In fact, Black Lives Matter, though it does have a lot of support, may be the catalyst for Donald Trump's massive victory. I will tell you this, and I've said it before. For me, the riots were a major turning point. I went out and bought guns because these people were, were not too far from where I live. And they're smashing and destroying. And let me show you something. It is not a social justice protest. These are lies. Portland vintage toy store owner says thieves stole irreplaceable items and a sense of security. The building security camera footage shows what appears to be two people hauling off stacks of collectibles from Billy Galaxy vintage toy and collectibles. Don't come to me and tell me these people are fighting for justice when they're looting a vintage toy store. I've been to this place. It's awesome. They got mint condition toys from way back when old comics. The place is great. You want to come to me and say that these people in Portland who are protesting and marching through the neighborhoods are doing it for a good cause. I'm going to call you a liar. 
The people in Louisville who are shaking down businesses are doing it for money. And their ideology is spreading, has, has spread and dominated the Democratic Party. Absolutely. The plurality of Democrats now adhere to a far left ideology. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm extrapolating a bit. But Gallup, uh, uh, there's a Gallup poll from 2018, which shows 48 percent of the Democratic Party identify now as liberal and less as moderate or conservative. There used to be conservative Democrats. Now you just have this expanding fringe extremist ideology, and it's a mask. It's a shield for them to go around stealing valuables. This guy films it. So when, when we say the violent riots should be shut down, we're not talking about some dude banging his, his kumbaya drum in the street saying, you know, peace among all peoples. We're talking about those who, who don black masks, firebomb buildings, spray paint, kill ice, and have been doing it for, for now, what, 85 nights in Portland. And it's been sporadic throughout several different parts of this country to the point where the disgusting and despotic mayor of, of uh, Chicago straight up says, I have a right to make sure that my home is secure. The mayor of Chicago is defending, having police barricade and, and, and defend her city block. But no one else allowed to defend themselves. Again, perhaps it's just wishful thinking. But as many Republicans have started saying, Chicago is in play. New York is in play. California is in play. It's, a, it's, it's maybe not necessarily true. But what they're saying is that these places have become so awful they may actually start voting for Donald Trump. And I think the data here suggests it's likely. One of the reasons why the Democratic Party may be becoming further and further left is not because the ideology is spreading, but because regular liberals are walking away. And I'm sure you've seen it. I actually, I don't know if I have the mug here. There's a, a, a book given to me by Jack Murphy. And I'm on the IRL podcast, Democrat to Deplorable. Nine million Obama voters switched for Donald Trump. And by now, I can only imagine it is substantially greater in number. I've, I, I've been, you know, a default liberal left-leaning individual most of my life. And now I'm saying, no way. So when people ask me how to identify, I don't say Democrat. I say independent. So now the Democratic Party loses another moderate a member of the, uh, of the party, in a sense. To be fair, I, I voted for Obama in 2008. I, I left a long time ago not a big fan of the Democrats, but I certainly have never considered voting Republican until all of this started going on. When you start seeing regular people walk away from Democrats, it creates a skewed perspective. So look at it this way. Let's say you've got moderates and far left and they say, oh, it's 50 50. But then the moderates all leave the same amount of progressives in the Democratic Party now make up a majority or a plurality. They are they aren't necessarily taking over so much as well, well they are taking over but they're not building their ranks for the most part. They are building their ranks. But what I mean is the takeover of the Democratic Party is more to do with disaffected liberals being sick and tired of this and leaving. Now consider this. If I was polled and they said, what do you think about the riots? I would say, shut them down. Then they would ask me, what do you, how do you identify in terms of party? I'd say unaffiliated. And then they would add me to the unaffiliated ranks, not the Democrat ranks even though if it was, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have said as, you know, Democratic, you know, slightly uh, center left Democratic or, or something, some, something to that effect. As more and more people walk away, it's going to skew the polls, which gets interesting. Now we don't know exactly what's going to happen in this upcoming election because of so many people who have walked away and so many new voters who have joined Donald Trump. They say, when it comes to the violent anti-police protests, most voters agree that Trump sides with the police, while Democratic leaders side with the protesters. 
72% of all likely U.S. voters say they are concerned about the growing level of violent protest nationwide. 43 are very concerned. 62% say the growing level of violent protest is important to their vote in the next election. Listen to this. Most voters agree that Trump sides with the police. It was really strange in this poll, like 10% said Trump sides with the protesters. And somebody mentioned about 10% of people will just randomly give answers and just they don't care, something like that. Because I certainly don't think any sane, rational person think Trump's, th- thinks that Trump identifies with Antifa or Black Lives Matter. But they, they certainly answered that way. But here's what's interesting. If 50% of people say that the police should crack down, and most people think that the Democrats side with the protesters. You have a very large portion of people who believe the Democrats are siding with a group of people who need to be cracked down upon by the police. Get it? I can't imagine those who are saying shut down the riots are also are, are, are somehow agreeing with the Democrats and supporting them. No, that's that's absolutely not the case. Unfortunately, it seems like Portland is just going to beg. Portland police chief pleads for an end to the endless destruction as 200 riders start fires in the street and attempt to storm ice building while spraying graffiti and shining lasers at cops on 84th night. This is just the previous night of rioting. Is that all they can do? All they can do is beg. Okay, then I'm convinced that based on the polls, Trump's going to win. I am. And, and you can thank Portland for it because they are giving all of the footage Trump could ever ask for for his campaign. And he's slapping Biden's pictures all over it. You know why? Because people think the Democrats support this. Why? They do. They literally do. They shield them. They lie about them. And maybe they're going to come around. They're starting to come around, but too little, too late. Sorry. We're going to see more riots tonight. I believe Saturday will be a flare up again because the DA in Portland won't stop this. And I can only imagine they're all secretly trying to get Trump elected because all of this helps him. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. I think there's no other way to describe Bill de Blasio other than corrupt, as he's threatening to lay off 22,000 people while his wife has a $2 million a year staff. Right now, restaurants in New York City are threatening to sue to restore indoor dining because they are being crushed under the boot of insane policy. We're seeing similar things in many of these cities where they allow the rise to continue and where they lock these businesses down. We're now hearing that EMTs are worried he's going to be laying off emergency medical personnel. Meanwhile, he's got two million bucks for his wife. We've seen more than enough, in my opinion, to say that Bill de Blasio is corrupt, that he's doing this on purpose. He's strangling New York City. I've said it 50 billion times by now, and now we just have another story. When challenged on this, he just has pathetic excuses. So let's read this. And I want to walk you through some of the latest updates. But ultimately, the gist of this segment has more to do with his tweet from Ben Shapiro. He says some COVID stats. New York deaths reported yesterday. Seven. Zero in New York City. New Jersey was eight. Deaths are dropping precipitously in Florida, Georgia, AZ. The UK was six. Italy was six. Spain was 16. Sweden was one. COVID passes through. And that's what crushes the curve, shield the vulnerable and the lockdowns. And I think Ben Shapiro is 100% correct. Why is it that in New York City, we can have reports of no deaths, yet de Blasio will still threaten to to terminate all of these jobs, remove EMTs, and, and New York City restaurants have to sue him? Of course, I think this main story here proves it is nothing about COVID. It is about power. And that's why he's going to keep the money for himself. 
He's already illegally used taxpayer dollars by painting Black Lives Matter and having 27 cops defend it. And that's what you get in these cities. It's not just New York City, because a recurring theme over the past couple of weeks, as most of you know by now, it's Democrat run cities. Here's a story from the New York Post. Bill de Blasio's pathetic excuses for his wife's $2 million a year staff. They say nearly a third of New Yorkers may be out of work thanks to the pandemic and lockdowns. But First Lady Shirlane McRae's staff is thriving, and Mayor Bill de Blasio's excuse for it is beyond laughable. 14 city workers assisting McRae cost taxpayers $2 million a year, most of it buried in the payrolls of various city agencies, until former Post reporter Yoav Gonin pulled together the details for online paper, the city. Oh, and her staff is twice the size it was in 2018. Further evidence the mayor is using city resources to set his wife up to win next year's race for Brooklyn Borough president. This work is about the needs of the people of the city, especially in this crisis, de Blasio said this week, pointing to her running of his racial equity task force as well. He so shamelessly, the universal uh, the universally criticized Thrive NYC mental health debacle. Yet many staffers plainly aren't doing crisis work. One is a $70,000 a year videographer paid via the health department who is recorded who, who recorded the first lady baking cookies during the pandemic. Another is $143,000 a year PR director whose job by definition is to boost her image, not to serve the public. Same for the $65,000 associate director of advance. Tell me this, as the EMTs are about to lose their job, where are the left calling for, for the defense of livable wages? Why is Bill de Blasio siphoning taxpayer dollars to support his wife and his personal image? Why is it that in Portland, the DA won't prosecute and local businesses are being shuttered and moved? Why is it that in Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is using the police as her personal security to, to keep protests off her street in defiance of the Constitution. Now, come on. Of course, I've been critical of the protesters showing up to people's homes and targeting people at their homes. But that doesn't give the politicians the right to only secure their residences and tell everyone else, well, too bad. It doesn't give Bill de Blasio the right to say, we're going to have to lay off EMTs, but my wife gets a six-figure videographer. You know, I, I'm getting tired of saying it, and it really does feel redundant. So I apologize. I really do. You know, I want to make sure that I'm talking about things that are the most important and relevant to us as a society that's going to have a big impact on how we succeed and whether or not we can. And every day over the past several weeks, it's been kind of the same story. Antifa riots, same thing, coming into neighborhoods, uh, corrupt Democrat politicians, the same people who would argue that Trump is a fascist, they themselves are siphoning away taxpayer dollars for personal benefit. They're refusing to hold criminals accountable because it is personal benefit. And de Blasio himself rejects Blue Lives Matter from painting. This is beyond fascistic. Okay, you call it whatever you want. It is authoritarianism. These people are despots who are stealing our resources, stealing our money for personal benefit. The Post says taxpayers may get some value from others on her staff, like the special assistant from the mayor's office who makes $115,000 and the $130,000 executive program specialist from the Department of Social Services. After all, someone has to actually supervise the programs that McRae is nominally in charge of. Another sign of corruption the mayor imposed a hiring freeze earlier this year, 
But McRae still got to bring on a new $150,000 a year senior advisor in April who somehow got classified as an essential worker. Bravo de Blasio. You know, I got to say, I'm just impressed at this point. I'm impressed. Come on. Think about how brazen this corruption is. He is stealing taxpayer dollars for personal benefit. And the police, they actually defend his little art projects. I, I, I'm impressed to convince these cops who swore an oath you know, to the people, I'm assuming they did, and the Constitution, to just give in to all the people who work in these administrations to just do everything he says. Wow. It's impressive how far we've gone as a country that someone so dirty and corrupt, and, and, and this includes Lori Lightfoot, could just keep getting away with this. You might remember Lori Lightfoot's the lady who went and got a haircut during COVID lockdown and said, yeah, well, I got to go on TV. Apparently, I think it was Gretchen Whitmer did the same thing. They say essential to the first family's hopes of continued taxpayer support after term limits forces the mayor out of office, maybe. This naked abuse of his public trust puts the lie to all de Blasio's endless uh, puts the lie to all de Blasio's endless moral sanctimony. He doesn't have he doesn't care. This is it. He's on his way out. He's going to steal as much as possible before he leaves. How about you get a grand jury together and you indict the guy? Oh, what's that? We get Steve Bannon on a boat and some dude who told people that he was not going to take a salary and he's the one getting charged. Fine. I don't care about the we build the wall. People have been wanted to funnel money to some guy. By all means, charge him. But what about de Blasio? What about his violation of, 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 of his, of uh, his oath of office? What about the money he is stealing? Now he's threatening to lay off 22,000 people saying it's painfully real. Are you kidding me? Man, New York is just being crushed by these people. I wonder what'll happen. So I've seen some of these lefties post, New York is only dead to the rich people who can't trounce about having low wage servants, you know, tend to their whims. Bill de Blasio is going to lay off 20,000 government workers and he's given his wife a $2 million staff. What are you talking about? Okay, wait, actually, you know, maybe there's, there's a point there somewhere. Yeah, but it's the inverse. New York isn't dead for the rich people. They can do whatever they want. Bill de Blasio is, is basically stealing from people and threatening to fire everybody. He can do whatever he wants. No, it's dead for the poor people who can't go to the restaurants anymore, who lost their jobs. Nearly a third of New Yorkers who can't work. These leftists are just supporting the dude because he says what they, what they want to hear. Racial equity programs. That's what we're paying for. Politico reported back in the 12th. Bill de Blasio said the city is moving forward with painfully real plans to lay off 22,000 public workers on October 1st, unless another source of cash comes through. I don't know. How about you can get rid of that $2 million a year staff and fund some of these jobs? De Blasio confirmed the layoff plans are progressing after Politico first reported Tuesday that agencies have been ordered to come up with a list of employees being considered for job cuts by the end of the week. The overwhelming cost of local government is personal is personnel. Where we put our money is into the people who provide services to New Yorkers, whether they're first responders, healthcare workers, sanitation workers, educators, you name it, de Blasio told reporters on Wednesday. If you're going to keep cutting and keep cutting, it has to at some point reach personnel. It's just pure logic of budgets, and it's a very sad logic. I don't like it one bit, and I want to avert this at all costs. So that 22,000 number is painfully real. Here it comes. Here is the cherry on top. De Blasio has also has been hoping for a multi-billion dollar federal aid package to bail out the city after the coronavirus pandemic decimated its bottom line. But he acknowledged Wednesday that appears to be dead now. Good for Donald Trump. Donald Trump 
should not or whoever is in charge of this. And I know Trump is he's the president, but I'm sure there's other federal uh, officers or, you know, agency personnel who are involved in whether or not he gets money. But I'll tell you this. He should not get it dying until the first people cut are his family's personal staff. The captain should go down with the ship. The people in charge, should, the leaders should take the brunt to protect the people. This is the opposite of this. This is what you get when you elect these people. They're not putting their neck on the line to help the people. They're putting the people on the line to protect themselves. And that's what we're left with. We're left with EMS workers bracing for layoffs as city grapples with budget crisis. The head of New York City's Emergency Medical Services Union said Wednesday the city was planning to lay off hundreds of first responders as Mayor Bill de Blasio attempts to deal with the city's growing budget crisis amid the coronavirus pandemic. To be fair, while $2 million is a lot to an individual, it's not going to fund many of these jobs that are set to be lost. But at the very least, if you have to cut jobs, shouldn't the first jobs cut be, I don't know, your wife's videographer? Forbes says, Oren Barzalay, president of FDNY EMS Local 2507, told the New York Post that around 10% of the city's EMTs, 3,700, could lose their jobs as part of de Blasio's plan to lay off 22,000 public workers. The response times will go through the roof. That would put people at risk. People will die. The city's EMTs and paramedics responded to a record number of calls at the height of the pandemic in late March and early April, around 6,500 a day. De Blasio's executive budget, which took effect on July 1st, includes a $1 billion in cuts from labor unions. If the unions can't find a way to come up with the savings, he will be forced to move ahead with layoffs. De Blasio was hoping a federal bailout or loan from the state could help fund the city government, which has lost around $9 billion in tax revenue since the pandemic began. But he admitted last week that neither was likely. I'm going to throw it back to, to Ben Shapiro, and that's the big point. If Ben Shapiro, if his data is correct, and you really had zero deaths in New York City, then it's about time we end the lockdown and revitalize the tax base and tax revenue. Instead, somehow, and Ben Shapiro, uh, he made this point, somehow the, the 15 days to slow the spread turned into lock everyone and everything down so that no one dies from COVID ever again, which is impossible. And because of this, we are now seeing a collapse of our major cities. Some people in New York are fighting back. New York City restaurants, starved by pandemic threat, uh, starved by pandemic, threaten lawsuit to bring back indoor dining. Restaurants struggle to survive on revenue from outdoor dining as cooler temperatures loom. They say, as autumn quickly approaches, a coalition of New York City restaurants is calling on state and local officials to devise a plan to for the return of indoor dining during the COVID-19 pandemic. How are we still in a pandemic? The curve is so flat. It could not be flatter. We've gotten through it. We did what we set out to do. How are we still at this point? There is no excuse for what these Democratic cities and states are doing. They're doing it, in my opinion, to cheat an election. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. They've got a crisis on their hands. They've got everyone panicked and they're sitting back laughing about it because they're just trying to mess everything up. Okay, maybe that's a little too much. I can't tell you why they're doing it, but I tell you this, whatever it is they're doing, they're the worst people ever to sit in those offices. So please vote them out. They say at a virtual news conference on Wednesday, the New York City Hospitality Alliance, which represents thousands of restaurants, bars and clubs, spoke out demanding action from Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo and, and de Blasio. Yeah, right. They're both corrupt. Cuomo puts sick people in nursing homes. De Blasio is siphoning public tax dollars into his own pocket. And I mean it. 
I do. In my opinion, when he painted Black Lives Matter without approval, it was for his personal gain. He's the one with his racial equity programs. When he put the police on it at taxpayer expense for his personal gain. And when he uses taxpayer money for his wife, it's his family. He's putting the money in his pocket. He's corrupt as they come. And you don't even care. You know why? He can't run again. He, he knows he's on his way out. So he is leeching as much as possible. Like he's going to do anything for the people who are suffering. This guy is truly despicable. According to a Wednesday report in Gothamist, indoor dining at 50% capacity has been allowed elsewhere in New York State since June, but not in NYC, the last part of New York to reopen. On Tuesday, de Blasio reasserted that the most important thing is to get to the point where we have a vaccine and then we can really come back. When was that ever the point of the lockdown? Are you nuts? But when, it, when exactly the coronavirus vaccine could be made available, if at all, is unclear. While some say the likelihood is winter, others predict it won't happen before 2021. And there have been some who have saying we might need multiple vaccines because of mutation, in which case there's no solution and they know it. A spokesperson for the mayor later clarified that a vaccine is not a definitive requirement for indoor dining. Meanwhile, one third of the city's small businesses have already closed, including many of its 27,000 restaurants, and they won't come back. Some of them will. Most of them probably won't. They have been strangled out for too long. They say, in addition, the city just reported the lowest infection rate since the pandemic started in March. On Wednesday, Cuomo told reporters during his own news conference that the decision is ultimately up to him. New York City doesn't decide when the New York, when New York City restaurant opens, he said. NASA doesn't decide when the NASA restaurants open. The worst thing we can do now is cause confusion for people with different politicians saying different things. Well, then why is it that New York City is not allowed to open, but other parts of the state, they're allowed to have 50% capacity for indoor dining. Cuomo also highlighted the difference between the city's demographics and population, adding that there is a much bigger problem in New York City today than any of the surrounding suburbs with a lack of compliance. According to an analysis by Gothamist, more than 100 New York City establishments have had their liquor licenses suspended over the past month for violating the state's COVID-19 guidelines, with almost half of them getting suspensions because of indoor dining. This is authoritarianism. You can't keep beating people down. Eventually, they are going to snap. New York City has become a pressure cooker. People are trapped in cubicle, cubicle apartments. They're taking booze away from people. It's like they're experimenting on them to see how much they can take before they finally explode. We already saw mass rioting in New York City. Are they trying to get more to happen? I don't know, man. But we're seeing it with landlords, and this is where things start to break down. Manhattan landlords plead with employers to bring office workers back and save businesses that depend on foot traffic. As movers say, they are so busy packing residents out of the city that they are turning customers away. It's getting to the point where you can't even leave the city. When all the movers are booked up and you're being turned away, what do you do? I don't know. That's why I, I hope most of you got out of the city while you still could. Because listen, Bill de Blasio is draining cash from the city while complaining that they don't have any. He is siphoning it away for himself. Can you really blame him? I mean, look, humans can be selfish. Bill de Blasio is watching the ship burn down and he goes, "Meh, I'm going to take it all for myself. Now, in reality, you can blame him. He's the one doing it. They could end the restrictions right now, right now. 15 days to slow the spread. What are we at? 155 or something? Yet they still insist we will not open up for what? Many people have already argued we've reached herd immunity. When, what, the death rate is way down. Hospitalizations way down. New cases, while they had a little bit of a second bump, are going back down again. 
Okay, maybe by by the time you watch this video or another study comes out, we see another major spike. I don't know. But we're seeing mostly asymptomatic cases. Hospitals are no longer being overwhelmed, particularly in New York City. Many places weren't in the first place. And I think we did what we needed to do. Now the data suggests we should start reopening back up. If Anthony Fauci himself, hey, I take his word for it, he said, with the proper social distancing, we can all go vote in person. I don't see why not. Well, there you go. Why are we still locking everything down? When I was in California several months ago, they started reopening some businesses. I don't know what they're doing now. They're probably locking everything down again. But they just created systems where you walk in one door and out the other for many businesses. So everyone, you know, moves and you're less likely to be interacting with other people and bouncing around and touching others. Why can't they all just do this? Why can't they just come up with a plan? And outside of the plan, I think maybe it's just time to end the lockdown period. Shield the vulnerable, like Ben Shapiro said, open back up. Why are we just sitting back and allowing de Blasio to do this? I'm going to make a point I made last night, but I want to say it here in reference to all of this. I think the problem may be that people like me leave. The people in New York, they're leaving. And that means they're not going to be around to vote. So de Blasio puts everybody in a pressure cooker and all of the people who would likely vote against him flee. And those who don't know or care stay and keep voting for him. Is that the plan? Only your sycophants will remain. Maybe, but I'll tell you what, it happened in the UK, it can happen here. In the UK, just uh, you know, last December, it was a crushing defeat for the left. The conservative party crushed blue areas that they had not seen in nearly 100 years. Most of you, you probably heard me say it before, if you follow my content. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe Trump is right about winning New York. Because when you get stories like this, when your governor and your, and your mayor are in your face, corrupt, stealing money from your pocket for themselves and their family. Maybe people will finally wake up and start voting these people out. Portland is in dire straits. Portland companies from downtown are fleeing. And as I already mentioned, Lori Lightfoot of Chicago is using the police as her personal security to guard her street and banning protests in violation of the First Amendment. People are calling it Fort Lori because she locks down this block for other reasons. She, she's just another despot. She says, well, people are threatening me. Yeah, well, people threaten me too. Do I get to have special privileged access from the police? Sometimes we'll put a patrol car out in front of someone's house if there's a real threat for them. But blocking off the street and banning protest, it's gone too far. It went too far a long time ago. And I can't tell you what's going to happen. But I do think this all plays into the idea that Donald Trump is going to crush this election and win in a way we've never expect we've never seen in a long time. And the reason for it is the pressure cooker has people inside and they are angry and livid and they don't know what to do. But there is one thing they can do. They can vote. Maybe many of these people just don't see it. Maybe the fake news works. But aren't all of these stories enough for you to understand just how crooked these people are? I mean, Bill de Blasio may be the most crooked politician we have in this country right now. Look, I know Garcetti in L.A. is is violating human rights. Lori Lightfoot is violating constitutional rights, and she's a bit despotic. But de Blasio is quite literally threatening to lay off EMTs, EMS workers, while he's funneling money to his wife and to and to paint for paintings in the street because he hates Trump. Now that (laughs) that takes the corrupt cake, baby. So will people wake up? I certainly hope so. And I hope many of you are watching this will share this and let people know. Like I said early on, It does get hard because every day it's just another story that is worse 
The rioters are going to people's homes, are attacking locals. The, the politicians are, are, are brazenly siphoning money and, and violating human and, and constitutional rights and civil rights. And I think it's going to keep happening until we finally stand up and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's going to come on November. But now we've got a problem with mail-in voting and it's, it's getting spicy. Patterson, New Jersey, they're saying do over the whole thing. I, I, I'm not kidding. The whole election's being nullified. What if they pull some shenanigans? It's going to get it's going to get dark, man. I hope you guys are. I, I want you to be optimistic because, like, look, I can talk about all this bad stuff. But let me just say this may be the pressure needed for people to wake up and vote in, you know, Donald Trump and some Republicans who are going to do something about the corruption and the riots. And it didn't need to be this way. We were we were living so comfortably earlier this year that I had the luxury of saying whatever to Donald Trump. Now we don't. Now we have these crooked politicians and we need someone to come in and, and look, Trump ain't perfect. I would un, under normal circumstances, I probably wouldn't vote for him. But I'll tell you what, that is a bit of a, a you know, it's a fallacy in a sense that because everything was so good because of Trump's economy, I didn't care. Now that things are getting really, really bad because of the of COVID, and because of Democrats, I do care. And now look who I'm saying I'm going to vote for. Isn't it, isn't it, you know, kind of stupid. So I'll, I'll eat that one. I'll accept it. We'll see how things play out. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel. Check it out. And I will see you all there. They got him. The crybaby Antifa guy. They got him. Oh, yes. Keith Love, the man who punted a dude in the face was seen on Snapchat saying, oh man, I'm going to go to prison for murder uh, or something like that. Well, you're lucky the dude didn't die. This guy, Adam Hayner, the victim, raised a bunch of money. Good for him. He was trying to protect a trans woman and his girlfriend from a violent mob and you kick him in the face. Well, now they got you. Suspect in Portland, in downtown Portland beating, turns himself in, police say. I'm glad he did the right thing. Maybe this should be a wake up call to all of these lunatics, you know, for what they're uh, about what they're doing and why they need to stop. However, many people are saying they're just going to let him go. And that's a scary possibility. But I, I think this crime is too much. Look, when they go around wearing all black and, and they struggle to identify them and they claim the police, you know, don't really have the evidence they need, they let him go. This guy, you can see his face on camera. There's footage of him. Uh, there's video footage of him doing it. And this is a very serious physical crime. I doubt they can get this guy off. I, this guy is going to plead guilty right away. Let's read the news, but I do have another major update. All federal buildings close in Portland amid threat. Yes, apparently this wasn't enough to let people know to stop. Things are still escalating, but we have some other good news as well. Mount Rushmore protest leader is facing felony charges. The charges may be trumped up. I, I, you know, I want to make sure I'm being fair about this, but more of these people who are, are you know, are engaging in this like in this violence are getting charged. Here's the first story from Oregon Live. A man suspected in a downtown beating that left a, a, a man bloody and unconscious in the street after he crashed a truck during a confrontation that unfolded near a downtown Portland demonstration is now in custody. Marquise Love, 25, turned himself in and was booked into the Multnomah County Detention Center on Friday morning. According to Portland police, he's accused of felony assault, coercion and rioting and is being held on $260,000 bail. Please do not let this guy go. Come on, man. (laughs) Of all the people you're going to release, this is the guy you don't, okay? Love is suspected in a Sunday incident where several people kicked, kicked, punched, and pushed a man, Adam Hayner, 
to the ground after his white Ford slammed into a light pole near Southwest Broadway and Taylor and Taylor Street. Yeah, there's video of him doing it. The incident happened just blocks, uh, happened blocks from a rally outside the Multnomah County Justice Center. A rally? They're trying to burn the place down. Police later identified Love as a suspect, a suspect and said they had probable cause to arrest him. The attack against Hainer has since generated international headlines and prompted condemnation from Portland's elected leaders, including Mayor Ted Wheeler, City Commissioner Joe Ann Hardesty, and Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt. Thank you. Mike Schmidt, you're condemning this guy? Good. Longtime activists and protest organizers in the city have also decried the violent episode and said the assailants threatened the message behind Black Lives Matter. Finally. Thank you. No, you know what? Straight up credit where credit is due. Call it out to the Black Lives Matter activists. I say thank you and respect for slamming this guy. He has no place marching in any peaceful protest. And I'll tell you what. The big the big issue I have with Black Lives Matter right now is their reticence, their refusal to outright condemn all of the riots. And in fact, they've supported it. So I'll tell you this. The only reason I think they're condemning this now is because this attack was so egregious. It crossed that line. And now we know. You see, they wouldn't condemn all the other violence. They won't take responsibility for the 30, uh, 30 people who have died so far in their riots. But this on video, like the Andy No incident, has forced a reckoning. Maybe this is going to push them, you know, push them on the defensive. I certainly hope so. Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle on Friday thanked people who provided information and tips in the case. Well, that was 4chan. So if you're if look, listen, I got I got to tell you, 4chan tracked this guy down. It's a collective, right? It's not just any one person. And now you've got all these people denouncing it. Dare I say 4chan did good, right? Brought a guy to justice. Even the DA, even Black Lives Matter condemning this guy. Yep. So if you want to thank anybody, you can thank them for tracking down this guy and actually getting justice. And a lot of people need to realize this, too. A lot of the the uh, um, operations that have taken place on 4chan have really tracked down some awful people. They did a great job. Some of it's been fun. You know, like they tracked down the, the, you know, he will not divide us flag, Hindu or whatever. But they've also tracked down people who've abused animals. And now because of 4chan, they've caught this guy. Yeah. Credit where credit is due, huh? Well, now we're hearing that the federal buildings are being closed because someone threatened to drive a van full of explosives. They say a source with knowledge of the situation said federal authorities received a threat that a vehicle filled with explosives would hit a federal building. It's not clear if a specific building was named. The source also said the downtown Standard Insurance and Standard Plaza buildings were being evacuated Friday morning. The FBI said it was investigating the credibility of the threat. The agency said it would notify the public if investigators developed information indicating a credible threat. The FBI is asking for tips if anyone knows what's going on. The bankruptcy court said its lobby was inaccessible Friday, but all its services would continue to operate remotely. Hearings at the Hatfield Courthouse that were set for Friday will be rescheduled. Yes, while all of this insanity and rioting has been going on, apparently the buildings are still being used. How, how insane is all of this? Now, already we're seeing far leftists argue that this is a false flag attack by the right. Nah, I'm sorry. I don't play these games. You've got feds inside. I'll tell you what I think is most likely. Far leftists are nuts, have been inciting violence, have been physically attacking people for 85 nights. And one of them said, I know how to shut it down. I'll do, you know, well, they decided to call in a threat. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to I'm not going to get that one pull out of context. So, no, I don't think there's a grand conspiracy. I think the far left has gone insane. The Democrats have embraced it and you reap what you sow. Oh, no. Now you're all worried because the extremists that you've entertained are, are, are uh, you know, being emboldened by your activities on the ground. Yeah, well, this one's on you, not anybody else. Now, over at Mount Rushmore, we're hearing 
the uh, Rapid City, the leader of a July 3rd protest before President Trump's visit to Mount Rushmore, is facing added charges that bring his, bring his potential prison sentence to 17 years. Like I said before, man, the hammer is being dropped. Okay, the, 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 the cops, the DAs in many of these places, not Portland, they're not messing around. Got a Virginia state senator, a Democrat charged with two felonies. The, the federal government is certainly going to start going after people too, but check it out. Pennington County prosecutors have added a felony and misdemeanor charge to their case against Nick Tilson, who helped lead a demonstration that blocked a road leading to Mount Rushmore. The Rapid City Journal reported he had already been charged with two felonies and three misdemeanors. Law enforcement officers, including the South Dakota National Guard, confronted the protesters after they used vans to form a blockade to call for the Black Hills to be returned to the Lakota people. As law enforcement officers advanced on the blockade, protesters scuffled with the officers and took one of their shields. Tilson is charged with assault and robbery for allegedly attacking a law enforcement officer and stealing the shield. The new charges stem from his alleged assault of a Pennington County Sheriff's Office detective. Tilson is president of a local organization called NDN Collective that is petitioning for prosecutors to drop the charges. 19 other people have been charged with misdemeanors for their roles in the protest. A preliminary hearing in Tilson's case is scheduled for Friday. The hammer needs to drop on these people because they keep escalating their, their, their tactics. They're targeting innocent people. They're beating innocent people. Now, what I heard about this, this may be trumped up charges, and this could be bad in the long run for the efforts of, uh, of justice. What I heard is that there's a video where this dude is pushed by a cop and he grabs the shield as he's being pushed and then pulls it out of the cop's hands. And that was it. If that's the case, I think it's silly to try and tack on a felony and misdemeanor charge for robbery, like robbery. OK, assault on an officer, maybe if they're refusing to disperse and the cop shoves him and he grabs the cop, you're going to be in trouble. But I ultimately don't think, you know, I, I would never let these people go like they do in, in, in Portland. But I think we got to we got to make sure that we're we're charging people appropriately, because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Now, this is South Dakota, mind you. They might just lock them up and throw away the key because they're, you know, Republican. They're pro-Trump. But you want to make sure the charges are appropriate. This guy is is protesting, gets a little physical. I'm not sure 17 years in prison, based on what they're saying, makes the most sense. But I, I got I got to admit, I don't know the full details. I will say innocent until proven guilty. But we need to make sure people who engage in violence are held accountable. I'm not going to throw it to this story here. Students for Trump tweeted outside the DNC convention tonight. Radical leftists attacked a seven year old boy. Why? Because he was simply showing his support for President Donald Trump. Truly shameful. In this video, which now has nearly two million views, there is a little boy and these two women snatch his MAGA hat and storm off. And it's just basically them stealing stuff, attacking this crowd, this group of people who are I guess they were eating, you know, eating on a patio and then they throw the hat over a fence. These people are emboldened because they keep getting away with it. We can't stand for this. OK, they need to be charged. You can't just go around attacking people and stealing from them, whether it's a little kid or otherwise. But this shows you that they are not above attacking and stealing from children. Now, in the video, the mom tells her little her, her you know, seven year old son, go get your hat back. And that's maybe a little bit over the top. Ultimately, a dude steps in, says, give me the stuff back and they throw it over a fence. These people are on video and they need to be charged as well from the smallest crimes to the, you know, the most extreme like this guy, you know, in, in, in Portland kicking the dude in the face. 
You cannot just rob people. You can't steal from them and do this. And so long as cops aren't going to arrest them, these people will keep doing it. I want to see a perp walk. I want to see this person brought in and charged. I don't want to see them go to prison for a long time, but just get charged. They get their slap on the wrist. They get their community service or whatever, and they don't do it again. But we cannot entertain this lawlessness. All right. I'll leave it there. We'll see how it plays out with the federal courthouse, considering there's probably going to be more riots tonight. But I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Are big tech companies contributing to Democrats by banning their political opponents? In my opinion, the answer is yes. But this is a question being asked by a group pertaining to Laura Loomer. See, Twitter recently announced they will maintain the ban on Laura Loomer, even though she is now the Republican nominee to Florida's 21st district. And in my opinion, I believe she has a good chance of winning. But if they maintain this ban, the argument goes that they are providing a a telecom service that can reach a wide audience only to her her uh, her her opponent in Congress, in which case that's kind of like an in-kind contribution. Now, interestingly, according to the story from Mediaite, Democrats have actually tried to get FEC regulations applied to social media, but Republicans are the ones who oppose this. If that's the case, well, then Republicans are making a big mistake. But let's just read the story. And I actually have the letter that, that was written by the American Principles Project that lays out their uh, lays out their case and asks several questions. Mediaite says a Washington, D.C. nonprofit group asked the Federal Election Commission, <laughs> missing a word, on Thursday to determine whether Twitter and other tech companies are making a contribution to political candidates when they allow them to use their services while banning their political opponents. In a letter addressed to the commission, the American Principles Project Government Affairs Director John Schwepp asked the commission to issue a ruling with respect to Laura Loomer, who on Tuesday won a primary election to become the Republicans Republican Party House candidate in Florida's 21st congressional district. Loomer has been banned from a series of platforms over anti-Muslim comments and other various offenses. Loomer has called herself a proud Islamophobe, and she's called Muslims savages and pushed the conspiracy theory that the Las Vegas shooting was tied to ISIS. She was banned from Uber after she complained about her inability to find a non-Muslim driver. Due to past controversial comments she has made, Loomer has been banned from using the services of a number of tech companies and platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Uber, Lyft, PayPal, Venmo, and Medium, among others. Under normal circumstances, it would arguably be, arguably be well within the company's rights to take this action, he added. But given that Loomer is now a major party nominee for U.S. Congress, a reassessment may be warranted. Schwepp asked Democratic FEC Commissioner Stephen Walther and Ellen Weintraub and Republican Commissioner James Traynor to say whether any of those companies had been listed on Democratic incumbent Rep. Lois Frankel's campaign filings as having provided an in-kind contribution related to those services they provide. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram would appear to pay all costs associated with hosting and distribution on their platforms of election-related materials provided to Frankel, Schwepp argued. Does this practice violate campaign finance law? This is an absolutely amazing argument. Think about it. If you want to reach potentially 300 million people, how would you do that on TV? The ad buy would be insane. Absolutely insane. I mean, you can buy in a local market, but let's say you want national coverage. You want to make sure that your message can be received across the country. 
you're going to need to do a network ad buy. Maybe you can try CNN or Fox who do, who do reach a national audience, or you can go to one of these you know, affiliates. I mean, you're going to go to CBS or one of these big companies and have that ad appear on all these other affiliate channels. And that can be remarkably expensive. I mean, you know, not substantially more expensive than normal, but still remarkably expensive. Twitter grants you that access. Facebook does as well. If they are going to say that that we can ban certain individuals from receiving this in-kind contribution, as it's being argued, then that's a, that's a ton of money. That could be millions of dollars, in which case the best thing they could do is just make sure Laura Loomer has equal access. Democrats on the commission have voted unsuccessfully in the past to apply FEC rules to candidate social media accounts, including Twitter. Those votes failed, with Republicans voting against taking such action. It may take some time before the commission responds to the latest inquiry. The commission requires four votes to issue an advisory opinion, but three of its six seats are presently vacant. The president must appoint and the Senate must confirm any new commissioners. Schwepp asked the commission to issue a broad based ruling in response to his request writing. More generally, is it the opinion of the FEC that social media companies may agree to materially contribute to political campaigns by freely distributing campaign related messages and advertisements for some political candidates, while categorically refusing to do the same for others. It's not just about that they'll distribute this like normal. It's that Laura Loomer's actually banned from the entire platform, meaning, it's my understanding, she can't run ads either. Laura Loomer isn't able to actually set up an advertisement account and then just pay for ads the way, say, AT&T would do it with promoted tweets. She's banned from the platform. So not only will they not give her any basic service they give to regular Americans, they won't even let her pay for it. That may be a step over the line. Now, my understanding is that there's like an equal time rule. You know, if if Saturday Night Live is going to put someone on, they have to offer the same thing to someone else. And I think that should absolutely be applied. It should not be up to these big tech oligarchs to determine who is or isn't allowed to run for office and have access to all of these different people who use the service. Twitter is a platform and many people liken it to say a telephone. The only difference is that when you put out a message, people can choose to pick up the call and hear what you had to say, as opposed to you calling one person, in which case I think it is absolutely an in-kind contribution. But here's the full letter. And I want to read it for you. They say, I'll skip over the parts we already read. I am writing today to express concern about a potential violation of campaign finance law by a major by major tech companies in the U.S. House race for Florida's 21st congressional district. He goes on to mention that Laura Loomer won and then mentions that due to past controversial comments, she was banned. Then he says, but given that Laura Loomer is now a major party party nominee, a reassessment may be warranted. Can these tech companies legally grant a material benefit to one political candidate, but not another? Can they deny one political candidate access to their services and platforms while granting full access to another? Does this not amount to an in-kind contribution to the favored candidate? I respectfully ask the FEC investigate these concerns and answer the following questions, both with regard to the specific race and to the FEC's broad application of campaign finance law in future races. Now, one of the reasons this may be really interesting is that if the FEC agrees it is an in-kind contribution, then what happens when, say, the American Communist Party or the American Nazi Party wants equal access as well? It doesn't matter if the party is major. And Twitter has banned extremist political parties. And that would mean that if you want to get around their hate speech rules, you need only declare yourself a candidate. Not like you'd win, but it won't matter. If you're a candidate and they give access to one, 
they must give access to all. Here's what they ask. Have any of the companies named above been listed on Lois Frankel's FEC filings? This I did read earlier. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram would appear to pay all costs associated with hosting and distribution on their platform of, of election-related materials created by the campaign. They refuse to provide the same service for her opponent. Does this practice violate campaign finance law? More generally, is it the, is it the opinion of the FEC that social media companies may agree to materially contribute to political campaigns by freely distributing campaign-related uh, messages for some, but I, I did read this, for some, but not, but not others. Thank you for your consideration of this matter. Your swift response is appreciated given the proximity of the November election. Sincerely, John Schwepp, Director of Policy and Government Affairs, American Principles Project. Well, good on John Schwepp. I think it's about time we get an answer. I am no fan. As I stated this, if you watched the old Rogan podcast I did now over a year and a half ago, where I challenged Jack Dorsey and Vijay Gade of Twitter, I said, what gives you the right to determine what opinions are allowed to be heard in this country? Laura Loomer is an American citizen. She has constitutional rights. She has a right to speak her mind. And I don't I, I don't like the, the, the things she says. I'm, I'm critical of them, but I'm absolutely def- I will absolutely defend her right to say them, especially when it comes to the big tech trying to shut her down. I do think that Laura Loomer is not someone you mess with because she has proven herself capable and willing to go as far as she needs to to win. And she seems to be winning. Now we're seeing these big tech companies try and maintain their ability to shut her down. And now they may upend their entire platforms. And you know what? It will be glorious. All of these rules they put in place, applying a global standard to an American citizen. Why is it the right of someone in Germany to use an American platform to spread their political message, but an American citizen running for Congress cannot? That is offensive to me. Think about this on Reddit. When you go to r slash politics and you see nothing but hatred for Donald Trump, those are the opinions of people in Australia, France, England, etc. I don't care about their opinions. They're on American platforms and they are swinging and manipulating American culture. But American citizens are getting banned from these platforms. I will not stand for it. It is offensive to me. So I would like to see an answer and I would like to see legislation. And for all the things Laura Loomer has said that I I am critical of and not a fan of, I absolutely look forward to her kicking the door in and getting some legislation through that defends the rights of American citizens, no matter how awful their opinion. We have free speech in this country. I will not sit by and just accept that big tech oligopolies can allow foreigners People who are not involved in our election to post their opinions, swaying the opinions of American citizens, while our own citizens, including Laura Loomer, do not have that right. That to me is greatly offensive. This election will be heavily influenced, absolutely is being influenced by social media. The Democrats said it all day and night that the Russians were influencing our election. So how can we sit here knowing that even today they say, that Russia, China and Iran are trying to influence our election. And you would deny an American, a political party candidate. I don't care if it's a major party or not the right to speak their mind on that same platform. Sorry, by all means, you want to be critical of any politician, be it Donald Trump, be it Lois Frankel, be it Laura Loomer. I, I welcome all political debate. But how dare you give space to non-citizens to insult and deride people like Laura Loomer and not give her the chance to defend herself and speak her opinions in America, in American elections right now for every person who is not American, who is on Twitter, who is smearing and defaming Laura Loomer, you are giving 
foreign countries influence in our elections, regular Americans will be swayed by these statements and she can't even defend herself. That is unacceptable. 100%. I'll leave it there. You can get me mad about this stuff. I do not like big corporations selling us out to international interests. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Where are all the journalists? Where are all where is all the outrage that Joe Biden, a major political party candidate for the office of the presidency, where's the outrage that he is hiding like a coward? Joe Biden is a coward. Well, I'm not here to rag on Joe Biden necessarily. I will, because the dude needs to face the music, come out and talk to the press. I'm here to talk about the press. I want you to see this tweet. Natasha Korecki says reporters. And so first, let me tell you who she is. She's covering 2020 Joe Biden Midwest for Politico, ex-Illinois Playbook Sun Times. And you know what? Respect to Natasha for calling this out 100%. She said, reporters were told to hurry outside after Biden concluded his speech or they risked missing his fireworks event and they listened. Watch this video. For those that are listening, I'll just describe it. All of these women, these reporters, mostly women, are running out of the room where Biden gave his speech to make sure they can get outside and see the fireworks. Where's where's any of the concern or the outrage that Joe Biden is not answering questions? Why are all of these reporters like lemmings, like sheep running out saying, well, Joe Biden gets a free pass. Journalism in this country is dead. I mean, there's very few people left. Okay, for Natasha, excellent job calling this out. My respect. She said they listened and it's this is getting mad play. People are sharing this video like crazy because it shows these people aren't reporters. They're in the bag for the Democrats. So when Joe Biden gives his speech, instead of asking questions, demanding answers of him, he goes back to being a coward and hiding and all the journalists run away. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I am disgusted by the Democratic Party. Now, it's really funny. I want to show you. This is actually is the case in the reporting. ABC News says covering Biden's history making speech in the middle of a pandemic, a reporter's notebook by John Verhovic. Now, I I said it was mostly women in the video, but yes, there's guys here. I'm not trying. I wasn't trying to deride women, just saying it was mostly women. At the bottom of the article, he says, after watching Biden, his running mate, Senator Kamala Harris and their spouses taken some fireworks, this unprecedented, unparalleled campaign again began its slow march toward November's vote. They love to finish Joe Biden's sentences for him because he can't do it himself. They love to let him get away with everything while constantly screeching about Donald Trump. You know, for a while, it was me going, stop making me defend the guy. There was no balance in media. It's completely broken. There's things to write about Trump you can be critical of, but come on, every single article they write, nearly every single article they write. And there it is. The reporter says, after watching Biden, his running mate Kamala Harris and their spouses take in some fireworks. Yes. Reporters, instead of doing their job, they just ran out to go watch the fireworks and all giggle and laugh. We don't have journalists anymore. I mean, again, I know we have some. I love this story. This is from August 7th. Where's Joe Biden? Coronavirus has the presumptive Democratic nominee campaigning from home, but some worry he can't convince voters that way. They're not campaigning. They're planning on losing. Everything they've done so far says to me they expect to lose and they don't want to waste any resources. Joe Biden isn't answering questions. Why? Because he's not really running, man. He's not. 
It's a referendum on Trump. But if you vote for Joe Biden after all of this, shame on you. I'm going to give credit to, uh, to an outlet I rarely give credit to. The Daily Beast on August 9th writing, hiding Biden needs to step up and meet the press. Three months, four news conferences. Trump is at least answering tough questions and letting the public judge. His challenger needs to do the same. It's the least we deserve from our candidates. I'll tell you what. Donald Trump did a couple interviews, Axios and with Fox, and he got dragged for it. They made fun of him. Hey, I don't care. Props to Donald Trump. He stood up. He said, I will do the interviews. Joe Biden, the coward, won't. If you gave me a choice between a guy who's hiding in his basement and a guy who is stepping up to challenge, why would I vote for the guy hiding in his basement? I'm not going to do it. I swear the Democrats are doing everything in their power to make me want to vote for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, of course, is doing that. That's his goal. But it's not supposed to be the goal of the Democrats. You've got them embracing riots. You've got them calling them peaceful protesters, ignoring it. Then they dare do the Pledge of Allegiance. Then Joe Biden's hiding the whole time. He's got no policy positions. Even Democrats on, and, and leftists were dragging the DNC for being garbage. Donald Trump, however, he's saying withdraw our troops. He's stepping up to the challenge, even when it makes him look bad. He is saying we need to take a look at income disparity. I'm like, this guy's trying real hard to get me to vote for him. I'd love to see Donald Trump win and then actually solve a lot of these problems and fix things. I'm not completely convinced Trump can, can, can do everything, but I know that he can do enough and he's already proven that. So be it. The Democrats refuse to give me a candidate I would like. And so I am done with it. Conveniently, tonight at 8 p.m., Brandon Strzok of Walk Away is going to be here. And all of this frustration, yeah, we're going to pour it out and it's going to be glorious. The Walk, walk Away, did I say foundation? Movement. Walk Away Movement. It's huge. I mean, this dude's taking off. And I'll tell you what, I totally get it. I'm sick of this. I'm sorry. I am sick of this. You cannot give me a good reason to vote for Biden at this point. He is, he is the, the Obama administration he, all over again. He's going to do all these awful things. And he's telling us nothing. You know why? Because he is, he is a warmonger. And he has no position other than give me power. It's what I want. The Daily Beast calls him out for hiding. They say, Wilmington, we have a problem. It appears that this election is Joe Biden's to lose. His last hurdle is a low one, demonstrating that he is, in fact, still alive and up to the task. Task. All he has to do is show that this isn't a weekend at Bernie scenario and he's golden. But can he do it? No, he can't. It quite literally is weekend at Biden's. Sorry. It is. There's a meme going around weekend at Biden's with Kamala and, and Barack holding him up. No, Barack Obama doesn't like Biden. The verdict is still out. On Thursday night, Biden was forced to issue an apology. Earlier today, I made some comments about diversity in the African-American and Latino communities that I want to clarify. He tweeted, in no way did I mean to suggest the African-American community is a monolith, not by identity, not on issues, not at all, except the thing he's saying he didn't mean to suggest is quite literally what he said. Joe Biden did not tweet that. Donald Trump said it. He says, I don't know who's tweeting for him, but it's not him. And he's right. Joe Biden is probably sitting in a chair, you know, in his sunroom with some light shining on. He's got a burlap little blanket on his lap and he's just rocking back and forth. And that's what he's doing. They pull him out only for very select moments. And the reason he doesn't talk to the press is that he cannot. So here we go. We got an election coming up and the Democrats want you to believe they're actually running someone. I'm you know what? At this point, I'll say this. I think we're all frustrated with Democrats over all the absurdity that we've seen so far, especially with the riots, especially with covid. They're equally everything they claim Trump did. They do. But they're the despotic people in these these mayors and these governors. Now I'm kind of upset with the regular people still posting memes in favor of Biden. You've got to be blind. 
And you've got to have your ears plugged to support this man at this point. But I see it. I see all the memes. I see people saying that you must vote for Biden because he's not evil. Okay, fine. I'll tell you what. Maybe Biden's not evil. He's not anything. He's just a guy. They even say in the Daily Beast article, the Atlantic even ran the article saying, stay alive, Joe Biden. That's all we need. Why? So that Kamala Harris can be president. I don't want her either. The Democrats have tried nothing. That's why I'm convinced. I really am convinced they want to lose. Maybe it's a little premature to say that they are expecting to lose, because keep in mind, you know, I, I always say hubris will be your downfall. If you think that Trump is going to win, it's when you pull a Hillary Clinton. But I got to say every day, maybe that's their real goal. They're pulling a Sun Tzu. They want all the people who hate the Democrats to get lulled into a false sense of security because hiding Joe Biden ain't going to come out. Ain't, he doesn't have the capabilities. And like I've said, he pulls a Wonka. He falls down, somersault, stands up and goes to da. But anyway, look, I know I can rag on Biden. I can mention that he's, he's inept, unqualified and all the things Trump has said as well. But I think it's fair to point out some of the responsibility falls on journalists as well as regular people. I mean, look, I don't expect regular people to do the job that I do, researching everything all day and night. It's it's why you watch my content. But I can respect that you do watch my content. There's a lot of people who don't read the news and they get their news from memes. Well, you still have some responsibility to try and source information. I'm grateful to everybody who watches my content because they do that. But these journalists are either in the bag for the Democrats They're lying to protect Biden or they are dumb as a box of rocks and they're not interested in using Google. During Joe Biden, during Joe Biden's speech, he once again pushed the very fine people hoax, but he did it in a very, very clever way. He didn't say that Donald Trump called Nazis very fine people. He said, think about all those really awful Nazis and how they were marching. Then think about what Trump said. Very fine people on both sides. See, two separate statements, non sequitur. Think about all of those horrible things that those Democrats did, you know, when when you know when they were in office. Now think about Joe Biden. You know what I mean? Like the point is, you can take two separate instances. That's what they did. He did not clarify the truth, and instead of telling people honestly what Trump really meant when he said "very fine people" and that we should condemn the Nazis totally, which he literally said, he was referring to regular people who didn't want vandals coming in and just destroying statues. Fine. You don't like that he, de- he defended Confederate statues. I don't care. The point is, it's just another lie. The journalists are in on the game. They're lying. And I got to throw it back to this video. This video is just absolutely epic. All of these women running out giddy to go see fireworks. Oh, no, we're going to miss the fireworks. Better not ask Joe Biden any serious questions about what he's going to do once he gets in office. Journalism is dead. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the video that really makes me vomit in my mouth just a little bit. I suppose we can only wait and see, but I, I hope the American people have woken up to these lies and this, this absurd game. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m., but stick around for the TimCast IRL podcast at youtube.com slash TimCast IRL. 8 p.m., I will be live with the founder of the walkaway movement, Brandon Strzok. Glad, uh, glad to have him. It's going to be a really fun conversation. And I will rag on journalists and the Democrats, and you know he's going to too. So if that's your bag, come hang out. YouTube.com slash TimCast IRL, 8 p.m. live, and I will see you all there.